1: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. TrueBot is found in clop ransomware attacks... Royal ransomware targets the healthcare sector. Recent Iranian cyber activity? A Night at the Opera, an update on the cyber attack against the Metropolitan Opera. New Cloud Atlas activity's been reported. Europe looks to the cybersecurity of its power grid. Rob Boyce from Accenture describes dark web actors diversifying their tool sets. Rick Howard explains fractional CISOs. And international support for Ukrainian cyber defense continues more extensively and increasingly overt. From the CyberWire Studios at Data Tribe I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, December 12, 2022. Late last week, Cisco's Talos Group published an overview of recently observed TrueBot activity. The malware is being used by the Russophone gang Silence to distribute CLOP ransomware. CLOP attacks are typically double extortion operations, with data stolen before encryption. Talos writes, While investigating one of these attacks, we found what seems to be a fully featured custom data exfiltration tool, which we are calling Teleport, that was extensively used to steal information during the attack. There are some strong circumstantial indications that silence is associated with the gang better known as Evil Corp and with the financial crime activity Fin 11. There's so far insufficient evidence to suggest that the gang is focusing on any particular sectors to the exclusion of others, but Talos has noticed a number of operations against educational institutions. The Department of Health and Human Services has warned of the threat the Royal Ransomware poses to the healthcare and public healthcare sector. The Royal Ransomware first surfaced in September 2022. It appears to be operated by a single group rather than functioning as a -a ransomware-as-a-service model, A report from Microsoft found that the threat actor uses social engineering to distribute the ransomware, stating, "...the group has been delivering the malware with human-operated attacks and has displayed innovation in their methods by using new techniques, evasion tactics, and post-compromise payloads. The group has been observed embedding malicious links in malvertising, phishing emails, fake forums, and blog comments." In addition, Microsoft researchers have identified changes in their delivery method to start using malvertising in Google Ads, utilizing an organization's contact forum that can bypass email protections and placing malicious installer files on legitimate-looking software sites and repositories. A note in disclosure, Microsoft is a CyberWire partner. Researchers are discussing recent activity of Iran-linked threat actors— some of which are using a new data wiper while others are updating a remote administration tool. Bleeping Computer reports that a new data wiper, Fantasy, has been seen in use by the Agrius APT group in supply chain attacks against targets in Israel, Hong Kong, and South Africa. The campaign reportedly began in February of this year and took hold in March, victimizing an IT support services firm, a diamond wholesaler, a jeweler, and an HR consulting company. This new wiper is an evolution of the Apostle wiper, seen previously in use by the hacking group, according to analysts from ESAT. Iran-affiliated threat group Muddy Water has been observed by Dark Instinct researchers abusing a new remote administration tool known as Synchro against target devices, Dark Reading Reports. Synchro is a managed service provider platform that replaced the group's other remote administration tool, Remote Utilities, which was seen in use in September. The Hacker News says that the software allows for complete control of machines remotely, which allows for reconnaissance, backdoors, and the sale of access to outside actors. The Metropolitan Opera in New York has sustained a cyber attack that shut down the Opera House's website and box office. The record reports that the attack was disclosed by the Opera House on Wednesday evening. A Twitter post from the Med Opera account on Wednesday says The Med has experienced a cyber attack that has temporarily impacted our network systems, which include our website, box office, and call center. All performances will take place as scheduled. The Twitter thread continues on to say that new ticket orders, exchanges, and refunds are unable to be processed and directs you to the Opera House's site for updates. ABC7 reported that as of Friday, tickets are being sold on the Lincoln Center website and in person at David Geffen Hall. The FBI is also investigating. SC Magazine reports that this attack follows an attack on Wordfly in July that victimized cultural organizations, including the Royal Shakespeare Company, Sydney Dance Company, and the UK's Old Vic Theatre, Wordfly, the record reports, was a provider of digital marketing services for a range of cultural organizations around the world. Both Checkpoint Research and Positive Technologies report renewed activity by Cloud Atlas, an APT of uncertain provenance that's also known as Inception. There's a general consensus that Cloud Atlas is engaged in cyber espionage and that it's at present collecting against targets related to Russia's war against Ukraine, notably in Russia and Belarus. Who Cloud Atlas is working for or what strategic interests the ABT serves remain unclear. Neither checkpoint nor positive technologies offer any attribution. In 2016, Kaspersky, writing in Virus Bulletin, reported very tentatively that there were circumstantial signs of Chinese activity behind Cloud Atlas— but it could equally well be evidence of code borrowing or false flag operations. Domain Tools took up the question in February of 2021, and their researchers also threw up their hands, stating, "...based on the observed activities, lures, and likely geographic targeting, Domain Tools assesses with high confidence that the campaigns in question form part of an unspecified espionage operation." While further speculation on particular attribution is possible, insufficient technical evidence exists that would allow domain tools to attribute this activity to any distinct entity or country. The Wall Street Journal reports that kinetic attacks against Ukraine's power grid have motivated European authorities to look to the cybersecurity of their own grid. Ukraine has disconnected its grid from Russia's and connected it to Europe's. And while there's concern about that new exposure and managing an expanded attack surface, the EU seems also to be concerned about a shortage of qualified cybersecurity operators who could be employed in safeguarding its grid. The Hill describes the scope of U.S. Cyber Command hunt-forward operations. U.S. teams have conducted 35 operations while deployed to 18 countries, including Croatia, Estonia, Lithuania, Montenegro, North Macedonia and Ukraine. The UK and other NATO members have also rendered cyber assistance to Ukraine and Eastern European countries at risk of Russian cyber attack. Assistance is also arriving in Ukraine from the private sector. AFR reports that Canberra-based security firm Internet 2.0 has signed a Memorandum of Understanding with Ukraine's Ministry of Digital Transformation... Provide cybersecurity training to Ukrainian veterans. After the break, Rob Boyce from Accenture describes dark web actors diversifying their tool sets. Rick Howard explains fractional CISOs. Stay with us. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer, also our chief analyst, but more important than any of that stuff, he is the host of the CSO Perspectives podcast right here on the CyberWire network. Hello, Rick. That was a brilliant
2: introduction. I'm going to take that to the bank, <laughs> sir. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: You know, I was thinking recently about you and I when we were back at the RSA conference this year, way back in June, and you came into our broadcast studio and you were all wound up about this new thing, something called fractional CISOs. Uh, so for our
2: audience, what the heck is a fractional siso? Yeah, you're no kidding. So before the RSA conference, I'd been aware of a few of my friends. These are former CISOs hanging their shingles out to come in and advise CEOs about how to think about cybersecurity in terms of business risk or to come in and help them stand up their first InfoSec program while they were looking for their first CISO, or even to come in after a breach to put their fingers in the dikes until more permanent measures could be established. And I was calling them virtual CISOs, and they were more like advisors or contractors. But hmm. at RSA, I was talking to another friend of mine, a veteran in the cybersecurity space, Todd Inskeep. I don't, have you ever met him, Dave? He was one yeah, of the— Yeah, I've interviewed him, yeah. Oh, Sure. He was one of the key players when we created the Cyber Threat Alliance a few years ago. And today he's the founder and senior managing director at Incubate Solutions, a company that provides these kinds of services. But he has a much better name for it. He called them fractional CISO. So here's Todd explaining it. We've
1: seen over the years the idea of a fractional chief financial officer, a fractional chief information officer, information technology officer, and... The next step is obviously to think about it from a security perspective. We've seen the SEC and others put more emphasis on cybersecurity as part of the governance of a publicly traded company. It's clearly in the headlines with ransomware and other threats all the time. And so companies are starting to think about, how do I get some cybersecurity expertise that's focused on business? as opposed to the IT technology team that's thinking firewalls, configuration controls, a lot of details that matter for cybersecurity, but don't really translate into business terms. All right. So why not just hire a CISO? Why, why,
2: why are contracted CISOs attractive to CEOs? That's the question I asked him, but uh, there are basically two reasons for this, I think, right? First is that CISOs are expensive. You know, the, the average salary is just north of $200,000, and the more experienced CISOs go for a lot more. Hmm. But the second one, and probably the more important one, is business experience. You know, newly minted CISOs are likely coming in from the tech side of the house or rising up from the InfoSec ranks. They don't have a lot of business experience yet. So with a fractional CISO, you can get the advice of a seasoned pro, someone who's been there and done that, especially for small to medium-sized organizations that don't have a lot of resources and don't know where to start. A fractional CISO is a viable alternative. So mm-hmm. on this week's CSO Perspectives episode, I interview Todd about this new fractional CISO development. And then we talk about the evolution of the CISO job and where it might go in the future. All right.
1: Well, that is on the pro side, the subscription side of the house. Uh, What's the episode that
2: you're sharing over on the public side? Yeah, so each week we pull an episode from the CSO Perspectives Archive and make it available to everybody in the public feed. This week's show is one of my favorites, Dave. It's from March of this year. It's about intrusion kill chain models, and uh, you've heard me flap on about this over and over again. Yeah. But... Most listeners are probably familiar with the Lockheed Martin Kill Chain model and the MITRE ATT&CK framework. Some are even aware of the DoD's Diamond model, but I would guess that most think those are three distinctive and completely different models, but that just isn't true. They're all pretty much in the same vein. One's a strategy document, Lockheed Martin. One's an operational construct uh, for defensive action like MITRE. And one's a methodology for cyber threat intelligence teams, the Diamond model. So in this show, we'll talk about how they all work together and how they can work in your own organization. All
1: right. Well, before I let you go, what is the phrase of the week over on the Word Notes podcast?
2: Yeah, we had a little fun this week with this one. The word is SSIDs or service set identifiers. These are the names of Wi-Fi networks we connect to, you know, when we're at the local Starbucks, our hotels and our homes. So we explain what SSIDs are and even review the top five funniest neighborhood SSID names. And okay. I'll give you a hint, Dave. The SSID I use in my home router, the name uh-huh. that all my neighbors see when they are connecting to their own Wi-Fi routers, is uh-huh. FBI Surveillance Van number 37. <laughs> yes, I was,
1: I was just going to say FBI Surveillance Van. I think that is the uh, practically a
2: cliche. My other favorite is uh, Abraham Linksys. <laughs> there's there's about a few thousand websites that links that list all these great <laughs> names so I highly recommend them. Right, right, absolutely. <laughs> all right, well Rick Howard
1: again is uh, the Cyberwires Chief Security Officer, also our chief analyst and the host of the CSO Perspectives podcast. Rick, thanks for joining us. And joining me once again is Robert Boyce. He is the Global Lead for Cyber Resilience and an advisory board member at Accenture. Rob, it's always great to welcome you back to the show. I want to touch base with you today on some of the things that you and your colleagues are tracking when it comes to dark web actors uh, and some of the tool sets that they're using. What, what can you share with us?
0: Yeah, thanks, David. I'm happy to be back, as always. Um, you know, I think there there is a... Um, Probably an understanding to some level of the tools that threat actors use in general for to complete their missions and you know I think a lot of people have probably have the perception that there's a lot of free tools that they're using underground tools um, and also tools that they're making and and yes those are all true, but what maybe a lot of people don't realize is that there's also a lot of commercially available tools. Um, that the attackers are using. And these tools are typically targeted towards, you know, the white hat hackers who are doing pen tests and checking for vulnerabilities, similar to what Accenture does for our clients, you know, just making sure that we're uh, being able to simulate what a threat actor would do. And there have been a number of these tools, probably most famously Cobalt Strike, um, that threat actors mm. love to use as well. Uh, and so, you know, when we, when we are in the field um, doing a lot of our incident response we, we often see cobalt strike as part of the you know command and control framework that the attackers are using and and we have seen you know uh, threat actors on dark web marketplaces selling access or selling codes or selling licenses licenses or cracked versions of the software for for threat actors to be able to use and so it's becoming a well-known tactic of threat actors what we've started to see is that a lot of um, some of the other additional commercially available tools are now also being targeted for use by threat actors so you know we're we're seeing them just look for other commercial tools similar to cobalt strike brute Rattal c4 is one that uh, comes to mind now that we're starting to see in the field uh, again this is a commercially viable available product and now we're starting to see you know threat actors uh, sell uh, licensing or or cracked versions of this software as well, which is also super interesting to me. As they're starting to pivot, you know, pivot from one tool to another to, to try and help avoid detection.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, when folks are using legitimate tools here, tools that legitimate pen testers use, is it is it likely that those tools have a better chance of getting in, or, or may not raise the same level of alert as a some sort of uh, illicit tool?
0: That shouldn't be the case, right? There, there should be, you know, detection strategy should be um, uh, should be in place comprehensive enough to be able to detect the commercial tools and the underground tools. But what, what I do see is, you know, these tools are, are just convenient. You know, they're packaging up um, what you would have to say use four to five or six different bespoke tools or homemade tools into one package. So it just makes it a little bit easier for them um, to be able to operate against their, uh, you know, their mission. What we what we are seeing is a lot of um, defenders now that you know say cobalt strike for example is a well-known tool for attackers they do start to over pivot to look for um, you know indicators that uh, of that tool set uh, and so other tools then like you know Brutal or Nighthawk or others that are commercially available products um, maybe because they may be newer or they have different um, evasion techniques, um, they're not as easily to be detected uh, in the infrastructure of a lot of organizations uh, um, today. So you know, being able to move from one tool set to another is allowing them to um, avoid detection for longer periods of time.
1: You know, I can't help thinking that uh, we hear the stories about, uh, you know, cracked versions of of commercial software often having malware within it. Uh, and I can't help wondering if the, some of these folks on the dark web who are going after these cracked versions of these tools, you know, find themselves uh, being victimized by some other people in the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I have not heard of that happening, uh, yeah. but that is actually very interesting. But I, I, I got to tell you, Dave, like I think I'm—I never cease to be surprised or amazed of really how ethical the underground um, community is in the dark web. Uh, because you know, if, if you if you do not follow through with your commitment, or you're selling something that may may have embedded malware in it, you know, you're probably not going to make another sale. So it, it is always surprising to me, you know, just how. I mean, the ethical is not the right word, but... Honor among thieves, right? Yeah, honor (laughs) among thieves, exactly
1: exactly right. So in terms of what folks can be doing about this, any words of wisdom there?
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one thing that um, I have found that a lot of, organizations are heavily reliant on endpoint telemetry now, leveraging their antivirus, leveraging their EDRs, which are great, uh, and they should be. But when we're thinking about things like data exfiltration as well as command and control frameworks, we need to be looking at the network level as well. And so what I'm finding is there's just been an over-rotation to endpoint telemetry and not enough focus on network telemetry. So it really will be important for, for organizations to truly understand Um, You know, what type of network telemetry from the devices they have will help them identify things like command and control frameworks. Um, And then, of course, um, start doing some proactive hunting for those. And sometimes the only way to identify these is through. A proactive threat hunt uh, because it, there may not be a telemetry that's sufficient to be uh, alerting on the presence of these and you may need to go and look for them which is why we're always you know recommending organizations not just sit back and, and hope that their detection rules are sufficient but to also go out and proactively look for indicators of c2 and you know, other frameworks like that
1: well rob boyce thanks for joining us The CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security Ha. Uh, I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. The CyberWire podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Guru Prakash, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Maria Varmatsis, Ben Yellen, Nick Volecki, Millie Lardi, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Catherine Murphy, Janine Daly, Jim Hoshike, Chris Russell, John Patrick, Jennifer Ibin, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, Simone Petrella, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.